0: Amen. Amen. And man, I tell you what, I'm thankful for a Lord who does take good care of us. Levi, Kel, great job tonight. I got to tell you guys um, that I actually asked both of them this morning to do what they just did tonight. And so I want to thank you guys. Man, there's some of you adults that couldn't pull that off. And Kel and Levi just did it. I would be one of the adults that couldn't pull it off. But um, Kel and Levi, great job, guys. Y'all going to have to forgive me. I feel like I got something stuck in my throat and can't talk. Um, So I'm probably going to drink water, which is like the most awkward thing. A lot of things can go wrong and not really throw me off speaking, but if you ever want to know what awkward feels like or you kind of want to feel stage fright, walk up in front of a group of people and just try to take a drink of water while they're all looking at you. It's like, that'll be the one thing that will throw you off. And so uh, that might be the case tonight. I hope not, but it could be. So, uh, but I... Hopefully it just goes away, I don't have to drink anymore, and that would solve all the problems. Um, anyway, man, I want to thank you guys again for all of you that faithfully bring kids or allow your kids to be part of our children's ministries. Uh, me and Brother Harmon were talking this morning while Miss Bonnie was singing, and man, just what a what a pleasure it is to be able to work in children's ministry, and they have energy, a lot of energy that I I don't have, and then Brother Harmon's like, you got a lot of energy that I don't have, and yeah, he is uh, faithful to serve down then We have a great time in CG3 to see the kids getting involved and having fun and, and competing, but and what they're competing in is the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of the Bible and to see kids learning and man it's a blessing I tell you what a day down there for some people would just be like torture um, but a day down there for me can take a bad day and make it great. When I look around at all the kids studying the Word of God and learning the Word of God and eager to know it is a blessing to be down there and I look forward to the day that my daughter is also a poet to services. It's kind of weird I'm like great so I'm gonna be you know your dad and teaching you in Children's Church, and then it dawned on me that that's what my dad's been doing for my whole life, so maybe I'll get some tips from him, uh, but I look forward to the day that she's serving, you know. She's a, she's a pretty good kid. I'll just tell you a little bit about her. She's not up here right now. She's taking a nap because I guess she didn't want to hear me preach tonight, so she stayed up all afternoon, which is okay. Uh, but she's taking a nap right now, but she's pretty good. Most of the time, you know, she sleeps. And if she's not sleeping, she's playing games or playing with toys or something. It amazes me she already knows where the phone is. Like if me or Danielle are on our phone and she's around, she'll try to get it. I guess she wants to watch Melon or whatever. She already knows where the phone is. But she's a good kid, right? And, uh, for me, I'll come home from work and she'll just be all laughs and Googles and we'll play games and have a good time. And. And then we start getting ready for bed and she'll take a bath and we'll be getting ready for bed and then typically before Danielle puts her to sleep she'll like wash her makeup off and you know brush her teeth and kind of Danielle will get ready for bed and then we'll put Emma to bed and during that time I'll be holding Emma. And it never ceases to amaze me. It'll be, everything's just fine. You know, we'll be standing in the bathroom. Danielle will be washing her makeup or brushing her teeth or whatever she's doing to get ready for bed. And Emma's happy. And then if I need to go get a drink of water or something and not leave, the moment that Danielle's out of sight, it's like I'm not good enough anymore. You know what I'm saying? Immediate tears, crying, wailing. I won't even know Danielle walks into the living room. I'll just be holding her, trying to calm her down. And Danielle walk in, and just silent. She's happy. I'm, Come on, man. Like I'm like your dad. I know I can't be here all the time, but a little appreciation would be good here. You know? Give me like five minutes of not crying when your mom's out of the room. Make me feel like I'm doing all right. But It's just something about the presence of Danielle that she wants to have Danielle in the room. And honestly, I would bet, I would bet. Now, Dad's kind of on a bad streak with her. not sure what he did, but he's kind of on a bad streak. Outside of him, I would bet that anyone in this room could hold her. And if Danielle was standing there, she would be happy. And so that you know, makes me doubt myself as a dad. I'm just like everybody else, so you know, that's great. But outside of that, she'd be happy. But I would also bet that if any of you tried to hold her for an extended period of time, like in, in excess of five minutes, uh, without Danielle in the room, she's going to start to get unhappy. And if you don't do anything about it, it's going to progress. Why? Because she wants the presence of her mother there. And when she loses that presence, something's not right. If my mother's gone and something's not right, and tonight as, as we open the service, this is not the message I wanted to speak. I have a, I have a list of messages, and I just kind of, you know, go down through And This is not really the message I wanted to preach. I had other messages that I thought would be more fun and more exciting, more fitting for for a, a, a junior church service like this, and I was looking that direction, and I just felt that God kept calling me back to heal. And so this afternoon, I, I went ahead and prepared this message, and I was like, Lord, is this what, what it is? And I, and I believe it is. And tonight, I want to look at the thought as we study through the Old Testament and, and it'll be a message by application. Um, have we lost his presence? Tonight as Christians as we come to the house of God I, I, I want to ask us have we lost his presence? Turn your Bibles to 1st Samuel. We're going to be in chapter number 4. 1st Samuel chapter number 4. And we're just going to read, we got a lot, of, a lot of scripture here, the story is kind of long, one that most of you would be familiar with, although I would also bet it would be a story that if we're honest, most of us have never really studied out. It's one of those that you're slamming your Bible reading and you read through it, but you don't have to stop and study it. Although I'm sure if I was to tell you the story, you would know which story I was talking about because it is popular, it's not really studied in detail. And then tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel, chapter number 4, and and the story really goes from the beginning of chapter number 4, and it extends all the way through chapter number 7. Now, I'm not going to be able to preach three chapters tonight. I talk fast, but not that fast. Um, But we're going to start in chapter number 4, and then we're going to wind up in chapter number 7 tonight, and we're going to skip a lot of that in the middle. You hear a kid counting, and they go like, 1, 2, 3, skip a few, you know, 99, 100, and you're like, that's not it, but that's how I'm going to preach tonight. We're going to go like, 1, 2, 3, skip a few, 100, and so... Um, let's just open in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to read some of the beginning of chapter number four, and we'll delve into what I believe God has for us here tonight. God, I ask that you would uh, bless me as I speak, and God, empty me of myself, and just fill me with the Spirit, and, and God, as we go through the passage, and as we go through the scripture, and I, as we go through the message that I believe you have for, me, for, the, for the church, for me, uh, God, I pray that you would help us to be open-minded, and come to you, say, God, have we lost your presence? Is this something that we've done? Is this something that we've struggled in? Is this something that that could have affected us? And God, I ask tonight that you would meet with us in in a spectacular way, God, and that you would deal with each individual here, myself included, on God, how close are we to you? Does your presence signify the way that we live? We just ask that you meet with us, God. Be with me as I speak. Allow me only to say the things you would have me say, and we thank you for it. And in Jesus' name, Hey Amen. Before we read, I want to mention just a couple of things uh, briefly to kind of tie some things together. First off, I do ask that you be honest with yourself tonight. Uh, if I was preaching on pride, I could call you out by name. You know what I'm saying? Because I can see it. I can see. Well, he's prideful. He's prideful. He's prideful. He's humble. But that one's prideful. Um, if I'm preaching on anger, all I got to do is just kind of get you in a stressful situation. I'll be able to pick you out. You know, you, you, you. If Aaron was here, I'd point at him. But he's not here tonight. Um, but they, there's these sins that you can preach on that are easy. they they're easy because I can see them. But when it comes to you having the presence of God in your life and indwelling you and being in close relationship with God, let me tell you what, you can fake it real good and I don't know. And you can fake it to the point that where you don't know. Well, what is normal for you should not be normal for a Christian or vice versa. So I ask that you be honest. And second off, we're studying the story in the Old Testament. And I believe that it ac- accurately applies. Um, and so As we preach through the passage, what I would ask is, as I draw these applications, look at them with me, honestly, and let's see what God has for us. Let's just start reading in uh, 1 Samuel, chapter number 4 tonight, and we're going to start in verse number 1. This is really as Samuel's beginning to be a prophet, and in in the beginning of Samuel uh, prophesying, time being a prophet, I was going to say prophecy, but it wasn't a single prophecy. Anyway, this is the beginning of Samuel being a prophet, and the word of Samuel came To all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched in Apech. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined in battle Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. Let's stop right there and let me bring you up to speed. Tonight, so this is the Israelites are going out to fight uh, the Philistines, and what they say is Israelites are camped over here in Ebenezer, and the Philistines are camped over here in Aphekum. And what happens is they put the battle in a way. What that means is they kind of they would go camp there and they'd be like, okay, we're going to fight, you know. And it's kind of like for in in a modern day fight, this would kind of be like the trash talking stage. They're both trying to figure out if they actually want to fight, or if they both just want to go home and put the battle in a way. What that means is they decide, okay, it's time to fight. We're going to fight and. The way that they fought in the ancient world is both armies would just kind of charge each other and then big mess in the middle and somebody killed more of the other people and then the losing team ran away and the winning team chased them. Um, And what happens in this battle is kind of what you don't see a whole lot of in the history of Israel. and Unless God's judging, typically what you see in Israel is this great military force. Realistically, you see great success, militarily speaking. um, And that's just not the case. They go to fight against the Philistines, obviously with confidence. They set the battle on the way against the Philistines. And when the battle takes place, Israel finds themselves with 4,000 men less. Throughout the story, what we're going to see is that as the battle develops, the Oak the of the Covenant is brought in and and then it's lost and then over time it comes back and what I want us to do tonight is as we study this, the oak, of the Covenant in the Old Testament was a picture or can we say was God's presence in the children of Israel. It's, it's the picture of God's presence and tonight as we study let's see how, first off, uh, the reason that Israel lost God's presence in the first place, the result of losing God's presence, and then the return of God's presence as he comes back to his children in Israel. The first off, as we look at the reason, how is it that Israel finds himself in this place of losing the Ark of the Covenant, or should we say the presence of God, and the first off is they find themselves in a problematic predicament. Now, if you are having something that is problematic, that's bad, all right? If you find yourself in a predicament, that's bad, and these people are in a problematic predicament. Here's a predicament. They just lost 4,000 men. It doesn't really matter how big your army is when you chop 4,000 off in the first battle. Things are not looking too good for you. Things are kind of going downhill. And what they find themselves saying is, "Uh uh-oh, maybe we need to stop and take a step back and rethink this battle here because what just happened is not what we thought was going to happen. It's not quite playing out the way we hoped to. We just lost 4,000 men. The first step... And oftentimes, for us, when we begin to lose the presence of God in our life, is life throws us a curveball. I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm kind of a routine guy. And if my routine gets wrecked, then that wrecks the whole party. Um, at at Woke, there's an app that you can clock in when you get to work, and you can clock out when you leave work. Not here for Jason and Amy. And then you can add your lunch break. And it's really, it's really a sweet app. All you got to do is just tap a button, tap a button, tap a button, and tap a button that will start Woke lunch bike and lunch bike and woke and you go home, you don't have to do anything else. Problem is it only works if your phone has service. My phone does not have service on a lot of the job sites, not LTE I can't use the app. And so I don't use the app at all. It would be easier, it would be less effort, but I keep all my all my Hours, I write them down in a notebook. Why? Because every day I have the notebook laying in my truck and I can just pick it up and I can fill it out because I'm in a routine. And if I try to go app, notebook, app, notebook, what happens is I don't use the app or the notebook. I just completely forget. And then Amy's like, hey can you turn in your hours? And I'm like, oh yeah about the hours, um, I don't know 40? 100? Guess? Like how much you want to pay me for? Like you know? Because I've gone and, and I'm a routine kind of guy and a lot of times for us we become routine in our Christian lives, and, and the presence of God is, is with us. Because, okay, let's say for you that you wake up at six in the morning, and you spend an hour in your devotions and prayer time, and then you get ready for work at seven, you're at work by eight in the morning, you work till four, you come home, you mow the grass, and you feed the animals, you get dinner, and you go to bed, and that's it. Well, then you have a routine. But a lot of times when you find yourself in a problematic predicament, things start changing up. And all of a sudden, what I've seen in my life and witnessed in the lives of many others, is when this happens, what we often do is either we draw closer to God, or we curve him out. Whenever we start to have a problem, what I see is we either draw closer to God or we begin to cut him out. And and honestly, the percentage for people who draw closer to God really pales in comparison to the percentage of people who say, I gotta, I gotta work on this problem right now. And they begin to cut God out. And that's the first, When we find ourselves in a problem, when we find ourselves in a predicament, when we find ourselves in a tough situation, can I warn you tonight that the first thing, the reason that Israel lost the presence of God is they found themselves in a tough situation and responded poorly to it. So the first warning I bring to you tonight is if you find yourself in a problem, be aware that you could respond in a way that caused you the presence of God. But next off in First Samuel 4, 3 and 4, I want to show you where things really start to... Downhill. Uh, read with me in verse number three. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, "Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the oak of the covenant, Of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us that when it cometh among us it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of Hosts which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. What we see here is that they, they were in a problem and then they make a decision based upon a personal preference. The Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God in Israel. And it was to remain in a temple in Shiloh. And they say, man, I'm kind of confused about what happened down there. Uh, The Lord has smitten us. We lost 4,000 men. And it seems to you like, okay, good idea. Let's say that we lost. Let's get the oak of the covenant, and we'll bring it out to battle. And in the battle, then, the Lord will bless us, and we'll be victorious. And man, I tell you what, it seems like a good idea. And if you read this in your Bible reading, towards the end of your Bible reading, towards the end of your devotions, or maybe at the beginning, depending on how awake you are, you're going to be like, that's a good idea. That's a guaranteed win. But can I show you tonight that the decision wasn't based upon what the Lord wanted, upon what the Lord had said. They made a decision based upon personal preference, and the decision they made put the presence of God at risk in their lives. They were jeopardizing the security of the presence of God by this decision. And you say, well, what are you saying? What is the application? A, a lot of times I feel that when we find ourselves in a problem, we are willing to jeopardize the presence of God in our lives to solve the problem. Maybe perhaps to show with an illustration. Um, let's say that the bills are not getting paid. Money's not as free as what you want it to be. Uh, and it's not as abundant as what you want it to be. And you say, well, I know I'm supposed to be at church on Sundays. That's non-negotiable. I'm supposed to be there. But I think that God will understand if I work these few Sundays. I got this side job I can do and I'll make this money and that'll pay for the bills I know God will will understand. Okay, Okay. and and it won't really jeopardize the presence of God in my life. To miss a few Sundays, to miss a few services, it's all right. Or or perhaps you say, man, this promotion is what I've always dreamed for, and God knows that this is what I was pursuing. And so uh, if I take this promotion, it's going to be okay. I'll just do extra devotions, and I'll watch the live stream. I don't actually need to go to church. It'll be okay. And and sure, if I'm not careful, maybe I'll drift away from God. Sure, if I'm not careful, maybe I'll become less involved in ministry. But ultimately, it'll get me out of this problem. The you see, the Israelites didn't choose to bring the oak into the battle because God said, "Take the oak into the battle, and then I'll bless you, and after that, then you'll be victorious." They took the oak into the battle because they said, "We have a problem here. We just lost 4,000 men. We want to be victorious, so let's try to manipulate the situation in such a way that we have to win." And and I feel that that's a lot of times what we do when we get in these problems is we make a decision based upon personal preference. where we say, "God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fix this right now." And I don't know about you guys, but I'm a fixer. If something's wrong, I like to fix it. And if you don't believe me, ask Danielle. She's got, she'll just come to me and want to tell me about something. I won't shut up long enough to let her tell me what's wrong because I'm like, hey, hey, hold, hold up, I can fix that. Hey, and she's like, dude, I'm just, just trying to talk, all right? So just save it. And I'm like, okay, all right, all right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I can think, you know, I, I, let me tell you what. And she's like, bro, I'm done talking to you about this. I don't want a solution. I would just like for you to listen. And, and I'm a fixer, and, and the same's true in life. Minimal faith in God, maximum effort on me. You know what I'm saying? Something's go- going wrong, and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta fix this. Oh no. Oh, 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 no, this didn't pan out, this didn't work out, and i, I got to fix this. What can I do? What can I do? Um, I, I, can, I can do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. And, and then, oh, well, that caused me to fall short over here. So now i got to, and I just, man, I've myself to death trying to fix If I want to fix everything, man. I want to fix everything in your life and in my life and in the church. I just want to fix. I want to be everywhere fixing it. You know what I found? Most of the time when I go to fixing stuff, I go to and stuff a lot faster. Here the Israelites come, and they say, I'm going to fix this. We lost 4,000 men. We can't do this again, so I'm going to fix it. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant out there. Now, I want to point out a couple things. One, the Ark of the Covenant was not supposed to go into battle, okay? It was supposed to stay in Shiloh, so that was a big no-no. The Ark of the Covenant was not supposed to be carried by two men, but Hophni and Phineas take it from Shiloh to the battle. They didn't follow protocol for taking the Ark of the Covenant at all. In our lives, something's not lining up. <laughs> For me to try to stand up here and shoot at what's not lining up in your life would be perhaps the biggest waste of time that I could do. But you know what it is. And you go to fixing and fixing and fixing. We wonder sometimes why the world looks at us and says, What's up with you going to church, man? What's up with you wasting that time on religion? And we're like, man, I just don't get why they don't get it. Can't they see how, how my God is taking good care of me? Can't they see all that? I mean, and, and the truth is no. Because what they see is when things are going well, we go to church. And we're faithful. And when things go bad, we're out there working extra hours missing Sunday just like they are. We're out there skipping our devotions to make a little more money just like they are. And they're saying, man, if your God was all that powerful, Where's the trust? If your God was all that powerful, where's the where's the faith? Where's the where's the commitment? Where's the say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do what I know is right. The Israelites here should have said, I really feel a strong indication if we take the Ark of Covenant, the presence of God into battle, then we're going to be victorious. If we take the presence of God into battle, that's going to be an easy win. But God says no, and we didn't pray about it, and we haven't asked him, so I'm not going to do it. But But a lot of times in our lives, we say, I wonder why people don't want to come to church, and why they're not faithful, and it's because we're sitting over here doing exactly what we know not to do, justifying it by saying that we're trying to accomplish a good. Guys, got, can I just sum up, because i got, I got to keep going, but let's understand that when it comes to the presence of God, it is never right to risk losing the presence of God. What do I mean by that? I mean... to to create a separation in your relationship with Jesus Christ, to sacrifice time with the Savior, to sacrifice time in prayer, to sacrifice time in devotion, time in service and in ministry. It is never right to sacrifice the presence and the spilling of God on your life in order to try to fix something. Can I make you a guarantee? Now, this one's not exactly quoted in Scripture, but you try me and let me know if it doesn't work out. Anytime you get yourself in a jam. And your first inclination is, I'll sacrifice devotion time, time missions, or time at church, or or any spiritual aspect of life. Instead, don't do it, and just say, God, I'm trusting you to take care of. See if he doesn't do it. But a lot of times, we make a decision in a problem that is based only on personal preference, and a lot of times it works out just like it did for these guys. Man, things looked on the up and up for them. They say, let's bring the oak from Shiloh, let's bring it into battle. This is going to solve the problem. We fixed it. All right, problem solved. We didn't need to pray. We're smart enough. Just bring the oak. Problem solved. Fixed it. Verse number five. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the oath rang again. Now, this is a good thing. You're like, what? Why? They're just shouting, you know. Yeah, they just lost four thousand of their best buddies to the Philistines. And now they're shouting victoriously. They're they're shouting uh, with energy and with good morale. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to win. This is a great idea. We fixed it. Problem solved. And and when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the oak of the Lord was come into the camp. If I'm a Philistine general, I'm like, "Uh, what's wrong with these guys? Did they miss the four thousand men we just killed? And then somebody says, "Hey, okay, the covenant has come into the camp." Verse number seven. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, "God is coming to the camp." And they said, "Woe unto us! For there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us! Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness." Let us see we see a phony preservation. They're like, yeah, we did it. No, we're not going to die. We preserved the Israelite race. The Philistines are not going to win here. And man, it's a lot of times when I'm when I'm trying to fix things, when I'm saying, God, uh, you're not fixing this fast enough or soon enough or in the way that I would like, so I'm just going to kind of jump in here and we'll tag team this one. Uh, man, it seems like things work out. You know what I'm saying? I, I may have skipped my devotion, but let me tell you what. That bill got paid. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I may have missed that ministry opportunity, but I got to spend time with the family. Hey, you know what? I may not have told that guy about eternity, but I didn't look weird in front of my friends. So I fixed it. Problem solved. No consequences. Look at me. Here we go. And that's where these guys are. They're like, yeah, we're about to go back, and the Philistines are really going to get it now. The Ark of the Covenant just came in. They don't even know what's going to hit them. And so the Philistine general is like, "What's up with these people saying they're about to come get us?" And they're like, uh, "Actually, you remember the God that destroyed the Egyptians?" He's like, uh, "Yeah. Why?" He's in the camp now, and the Philistines are like, "Oh." Mm. And if you look on though, the Philistines—these are some, these are some manly men. Uh, they say this God killed all the Egyptians, and they're, they're super scared. And then somebody in the Philistines says, Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye, be not so, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. So they're all scared, and somebody actually has enough guts to say, Man, what are y'all doing? We're about to end up serving them without fighting. We just killed 4,000 of them. Let's go back and fight again. Can I tell you the reason that they lost the presence of God? Right off the bat as they found themselves in a problem. And instead of saying, God, I need your help. We can't can't do this, God. And I'm asking that you take care of this situation, God. Show your strength in my life. Instead, they said, I'm going to fix this. And I might have to sacrifice or put at risk for Israel, the ark of the covenant, the presence of God. I may have to put this at risk, but... It's all going to work out. We're going to win, and the presence of God will come back, and uh, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. Tonight, can I, can I just give you this challenge as we move in to, to, to the result of this? Uh, you say, I don't want to lose the presence of God in my life. Let me challenge you. Don't sacrifice any of the presence of God. Don't even risk losing it. Don't even let it be a thought. Because the moment you begin to risk the presence of God, and again, what do I mean by that? When you're risking the presence of God, devotional time, prayer time, time spent with God, and feeling his presence on your life, don't even begin to risk it. Because as you're going to see, it didn't work out well for the Israelites. The result, and we're going to move quickly through the remainder of the message here, so uh, read quickly with me and pay attention quickly as well. Verse number 10. And the Philistines fall, and Israel was smitten. Whoops! And they fled every man into his tent and there was a very great slaughter. Whoops! For the Pharaoh of Israel 30,000 men. Wow! Worst military campaign ever. We lost 4,000 men. We fixed the problem let's go show the Philistines who's boss." And 30,000 men die? Very great was the slaughter, but I thought they fixed it. I got to move through this point very quickly, but I want to say this a lot of times. (laughs) Every time we sacrifice our relationship with God on the basis of fixing something, be cautious, because I'm betting that you didn't fix it. And I'm betting later on there's going to be a bigger problem. You say, well, I didn't have money and I got money now. Well, I'm betting that that money you got, God's going to take right back. You say, well, well, I didn't have time before and, and now that I'm not going to church on Sunday, I got all the time in the world, where well, you better watch out or God may just take that time right away from you. They say, look, we fixed it. Don't worry about it. We, we, we're not going to lose the presence of God. We, we, it's a risk, yes, but we're going to win. So it's not a big deal. And, and for us, we're like, look, I'm missing a few Sundays. It's not a big deal. I got a, I got a little bit more vacation time. The problem wasn't fixed. And for us, it's, it's never right to do wrong to do right, and, and God will be sure to point that out. But next I want to show you that the presence, the presence of God, that is, is plucked away from them. 1 Samuel 4.11. And the ark of God was taken... And the two sons of Eli, that is Hophni and Phineas, were slain. Thirty thousand men is a big loss, but now the presence of God is gone. The presence of God is gone. They never thought they would actually lose it. You know what I think I see uh, myself. What I see in others. I don't think anyone here tonight would say, I'm willing to sacrifice the presence of God in my life for... I don't think anybody would. But every day we risk it just a little bit more. You say, how? Well, when I skip my devotional time to watch the 10th, 11th, and 12th inning of the ball game, when I'm really tired from a long night before and I say, It's not worth getting up. It's not worth the prayers. I just try to do something in my truck. When the music I listen to doesn't glorify God at all or, or the things of God at all, and, and it actually supports and stands for the things that are anti God, but I say to myself, Hey, I've heard it all my life. It's not going to change me now. When the TV shows I watch support the things of the world, and then I wonder why. I'm open to all these sins. When the things I partake in are, are, are not things that bring glory to God, we're like, man, why am I losing the presence of God in my life? You guys know I own a motorcycle, right? Kawasaki Ninja 500. Nice bike. Um, goes real fast. Real, it goes fast, really fast, meaning that it doesn't take a long time to get there. Um, fastest I've been on it is only like 65 or 70. Okay, so... Calm down. I'm not driving like an idiot. Um, But it has the capabilities to go 110 miles an hour, okay? It's a small bike. It's only like 20 horsepower motor on it. But it can still go 110 and it can get there in like sub 10 seconds. So pretty fast, pretty fast. And let's say that, let's just assume. Can you all assume with me this morning? Let's say that every morning we all get on 81 and we head to work in Harrisonburg. okay? Now let's say every morning, y'all guys are all good citizens, slow lane, 70 miles an hour straight down the interstate. We all get to work at, let's say, 8 o'clock in the morning. That's when we show up. And let's say at 7.45, y'all are all just driving the line, going to work, good citizens. Y'all just hear, wah! And you look, and here I come. Man, 110 miles an hour, just hauling up the interstate. And in front of y'all is two semis. Right? Side by side like they should never do. They should never try to pass but they're trying to pass and they're going 65. And I don't get in line. I I just downshift that bike, pop the front end up and go lane splitting right between them. Y'all are going to be like, that kid's going to kill himself. Man, he's going to die. He doesn't need to be driving like that. Slow down, man. You don't need to be lane splitting. And we all go to work and you're like, man, what was that about this morning? I said, man, I can't be late to work. I'm going to get fired. If I'm late one more time, I just had to get here you like, okay. Next one, wham, here I come again. You're like, dude, like, slow down. Leave the house a little bit sooner. I'm like, dude, sorry, can't be late to work. Next day, you just see me whipping and weaving in and out of semis. Y'all going to be like, that kid's going to kill himself. It would just be the buzz of the church. Y'all see me do that three days. Y'all going to be like, somebody's got to take that bike from him. Kid's going to kill himself driving too fast on that bike. Somebody's got to get that bike. I do this for a week. Day number eight, here we all go to work. No wine, no motorcycle, no nothing. Y'all guys are showing up the boat and you're like, must have left a house on time. Good for him. And then you get a church cast. Now it's dad. Hey, y'all please pray for my son. He crashed the bike. He got hit by a semi. He's not doing well. They don't think he's gonna make it. Y'all good people. So y'all are gonna be heartbroken, sad, and send some text message, love, and call me, and say something, send codes and flowers. I don't make it. I die. Somebody, I'm betting on Terry Miller. <laughs> Alright, is gonna say, I told that kid he needed to slow that bike down. Alright, I told. Not to be lane-splitting in between tractor-trailers like that. Now, I'm sorry that he died, but he did it to himself. That kid should not have been lane-splitting on that bike like that. He did not need to be driving 110 miles an hour. You would be right, Terry. Well, Coach, but you would be right. I should not be lane-splitting. I should not be driving 110 miles an hour. Y'all going to feel bad, but you're going to say, he did it to himself, and I'm sorry to tell you. That's what happens when you drive like an idiot. You die. What we see though in the Christian life is this. Wide open, lane-splitting with the movies we watch. Wide open, lane-splitting with the music we listen to. Wide open, lane-splitting with with the laziness in our devotional life. Wide open, lane-splitting with with the lack of a prayer life. Wide open, lane-splitting With with the lack of pursuit of things of God, we just run a bike wide open 110 miles an hour, just weaving in between codes, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves saying, you know what? God hasn't felt that real to me. My devotional life's kind of dry. I I don't really know where God's at and I can't really feel his presence and this whole Christianity thing doesn't really feel real to me anymore and and we act all surprised that we lost the presence of God and that our our religious life is dry and empty and we're like, man, I really thought that I could just take in all of the stuff that Satan provides in the world and to refer to the illustration, never crash the bike. The Israelites here say, yeah, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant to a battle where we just lost 4,000 men, and we're going to bring it back victorious. I just got to kind of say how dumb you got to be, man. You're just going to take that box out there, and you think that's going to change? You just lost, and you're expecting to win now? You got 4,000 less men and a box that signifies the presence of God without the presence of God on it at this time. We're like, yeah, that's dumb. But for us, we're over here risking the presence of God for every little thing that the world offers. just, wah. And time and time and time again, we crash that bike. Now I crashed my bike. Yep, 30 miles an hour. Dropped it, low side of that thing. Right on top of this knee right here. Had a little flare in the gas tank. And I dropped the clutch going around the tone. Dumb, 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 dumb. That back end came around and it hit the side of my knee, drove it into the ground, scraped it up. Probably should have broke it, but it didn't. Scraped up my elbow, scraped up my back, put a big dent in my helmet. All the stuff you do when you wreck a bike. Now, y'all guys found found out about it on social media and stuff, and I walked with a limb. But, I could have rolled up in here and acted like nothing ever happened. If I wouldn't have posted any pictures of it, I could have hid the limp and kept on walking and acted like everything was fine. I didn't crash my bike. But it would have been a It wouldn't have been true. And in reality, I would still be limping. And a lot of times as Christians, we walk around hiding that limp. Yeah, no, we're good, man. I'm good. Me and God, we're good. My, my relationship with God is good. I didn't crash I didn't risk the presence of God. I didn't lose the presence of God. I didn't, the Oak of the Covenant didn't get taken <laughs> by the Philistines. God didn't get stolen from me by Satan giving me all this trash that I just opened my doors up wide open and taken in as much as I can because it's enjoyable. And we walk around with the limb acting like nothing's wrong. But in reality, the presence of God has been gone from its people. When the presence gets taken, can I tell you that the preacher Parishes? That's not speaking about me. That's in the story. First Samuel 4, 18, and it came to pass when he made mention, this is a guy who escaped from battle, Van back, he's telling Eli the road. He says that when he came to mention the ark of God, he says, by the way, uh, 30,000 men died. Your two sons were among them. And he said the ark of the covenant, or the of God got taken in. This, that he fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck broke, and he died for he was very old man and heavy, And he had judged Israel for 40 years. Eli was a good judge. Now his kids turned out bad, and so a lot of people say that he was a bad priest. Should I say he was not a judge, he was a priest. Uh, um, Because his children turned out bad. But for 40 years he had judged over Israel, and he had been uh, the priest and the prophet. And he dies by application. When the presence is gone from me, and the presence is gone from you, And, and the presence is gone from you, and we all come to church empty. We wonder why the service is empty. But it's because the people are empty. And you say, I don't, I don't really think that's the case. Let me tell you why I can prove to you it's the case. We come to church, and let's imagine with me the last time that there was a service when you said God really moved in that service, okay? Happens a lot of time at team camps um, or an emotional service. And you're like, wow, God really met in the service. we talk about it and we act like it's strange that the presence of God met with his people in his house. You see the the presence could be gone and here it causes Eli to literally die but we wonder why churches are closing while pastors are saying I'm done. I'm just blown out. I'm empty now. I'm, i got nothing left to give. There's, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I've preached the whole book so many times and it's not even real to me anymore. And we see churches just close doors and, and ministries die and missions die. And we're like, what is going on? What is the deal? The, the deal is that the presence is gone. If I'm just trying to sell you this as a human, it's a real bad sales pitch. Hey, let me make you a good deal. I want you to come to a building three times a week where nothing happens. I'm going to stand up there and talk, or dad is, and that's it. We go home. We're going to sing. I would like for you to be a member of this. Give 10% of every dime you make. Okay? And on the occasional Saturday and Sunday, I want you to do something for me at this building. Who wants to sign up? Any take You can start with the check, and then I'll get you signed up for a spot of service on a couple of sa- You're like, that is terrible. And guess what? It is terrible. And that's why churches are closing, because the presence of God is out of the church and out of the host of the people of church, because we sacrificed it, pursuing what the devil offered us. And then we're like, man, nobody wants to come. Be- no. No. They don't. They don't want no part of it. It's fake. I'm not paying 10% of everything I make plus faith promise, plus offerings, and all the special speakers who want to get paid. I'm not paying that. I'm not singing. I'm not serving. I'm not going to be there. I'll be on the lake having fun doing what I want to do. If the presence of God is not real... We're not selling this building or the the programs that we can offer. I like to think that I'm a good children's pastor, but if I was a kid and it wasn't real, I'm out of there. I might grab a piece of candy and I'm gone. You see, friends, what makes this happen is the presence of God. And if we have lost it, party's over. Let's just close these doors and everybody go home. The Israelites lost the presence of God, (laughs) and they lost 30,000 men, the prophet's two sons die, the prophet himself dies, everything becomes a wreck. And if you look at religion in America today, it's a wreck. Because the presence of God is gone. And it's not gone because we said, I want it out. They didn't take the presence of God and say, we're going to do a smooth one. We're going to set the presence of God out in the field and just let them have it. They didn't mean for the Philistines to take it. But it got taken. Christianity didn't mean for Satan to take the presence of God. But I think if we're honest and we step back we would say it's gone. That we filled ourselves up with so much for so long driving our bikes wide open and now we're wondering what happened. It's because the presence is gone. But finally I want to show you the Vuitton 1 Samuel chapter number 6, I'll go quickly, I know I'm out of time. And the Bible says this, In the oath of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. It's a long time, I don't think it's very long in comparison to how long the presence of God has been gone from Christianity nowadays. And the Philistines called for the priests, and the divine are saying, What shall we do with the oak of the Lord? Tell us where we shall send it to its place. Now, there's a lot that I would love to show you about the retone, but I'm just going to mention three things. I'm going to just tell you, I'm not even going to read the Bible. I'm just feeling the story. You don't believe me? Read it. It's in now because I want to wrap up. And first off, I want to show you that the presence persists. I want to thank God tonight that he never stops trying to be present in our lives. We may have lost his presence, but he did not give up on having his presence in our lives. If you know the story right now, the presence of God, the ark of the God gets taken into the Philistines nation. And they put it in the house of many different gods. You want to know what kept happening to them? Falling on their faces, their heads falling off, hands falling off, so forth and so on. They kept breaking, okay? And God himself way back around until the Philistines said hey this thing we thought we accomplished with the Ark of God was a bad idea. How do we send it back? And that's the verse we just read and the Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months and the Philistines called for the priest and the devoners saying what shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? How do we get it out? How do we get it away? We don't want it anymore. It's causing problems and they get it out and friends let me tell you what you say uh, yeah as you're preaching the presence of God is gone for my life. I am walking with a limp. I, I don't have God's presence in my life and Christianity is empty and I am wondering where is the power of God in the church. First off let me tell you that God is eagerly coming back to you and if you would stop with the feeling of junk and begin to say God I I was in a problem and I begin to let things slip and I I made decisions to just try to fix it and I didn't involve you and I got myself here but I want you back. Let me promise you his presence and his power can come back on your life. Next we see that the people praise. Uh, First Samuel and this is chapter number 7 verse number 4. The children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. In verse number 9, And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the the Lord hold him. Friends, let me tell you what. God wants to be present in churches again. He wants to be present in your life again. He wants to be present in your family again. He wants to have his power and his presence in your home again. And if you're willing to let him, then he will get you to a point from... Wow, 34,000 dead men to praising the Lord again. They're about to go fight the Philistines again, but this time instead of saying, how can I fix it? They say, Samuel, can you make an offering and can you cry out to the Lord that he will come and that his presence will be here with us? And then we see that, the, that without God's presence, the preacher perishes, and with God's presence, the Philistines perish. First Samuel 7:13. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the day of Samuel. It went from 34,000 Israelites to where the Philistines said, "Yeah, we're never going back though." What was the difference? One was without the presence of God, and one was with the presence of God. A great loss. 34,000 men dead because the presence of God was gone. Seven months later the Philistines take a loss that is so big they never ever came into the coast of Israel again. Tonight as we conclude individually corporately ask yourself i First, I believe we could all say that as we look at church, as we look at Christianity, it looks a lot more like 34,000 dead men than it does Satan saying I'm done with that area, because I keep losing. And what that comes back to is individual Christians. I have to say if I was an Israelite, I probably would have said, hmm, seems like a good idea. I would have probably justified it. I know we shouldn't take the, the Lord out with only two men, but we also just lost 4,000 men. Seems like a good idea. And I think that we've justified a lot of times. I've seen this show before. I've heard the song before. I've missed a Sunday before and been fine. I've went longer than this before without reading my Bible and been fine presence of God is gone. Doesn't have to be that way. In seven months a nation that just got badly beaten became a nation that won a huge victory. The church can go from someone that is dead, that is empty, that is just a sales pitch of men to the presence of God meeting with us again. My prayer for this church, for churches across America, for my heart, for yours, is that it would be more abnormal for the presence of God to be gone than it would be for the presence of God to be here. And tonight, maybe you say, Message isn't really for me. I'm actually on a mountaintop with God right now. Praise the Lord. When tough times come, be sure you don't risk the presence of God. And if you say, oh no, I've lost it. I'm more consumed with things of the world. I'm more consumed with things that Satan's offering. They're not bad. I'm not the worst person. I'm not even the worst person in this room. I'm a good guy. But I don't have the power of God in my life then he wants to give it back. Would you come to him? Would you cry out to him? Would you say, God, once again, can I have your presence in my life? Wherever you're at tonight, I I can't judge. I honestly can't even guess. But you know. And tonight I ask that you just be honest between yourself and God. And that we as a church pursue the presence of God again. Because if not, we're just wasting our time and money. let's pray